Hey there, Jordan Sheridan uh, with Status Coup, uh, 6 o'clock Eastern time. Hope everybody's having a, a lovely, lovely day, staying safe in these COVID times and uh, trying times for many. Uh, delighted to be joined by uh, two a great guests today uh, to take us through uh, a variety of topics uh, on the United Corporations of America. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Lila Charles Lee, uh, as well as Pat Cody. Did I met? Did I botch either of your names? Aces, look at you. Well done. I'm gonna call you Pat the Burner, but your real name is Pat. <laughs> That's Cody. fair. Uh, or Peter guys, Douche. If you want to call me Peter Douche, I could live with that. I Perfect. And uh, you guys co-host uh, Punch Up Pod, which we could talk about in a bit. Uh, but I wanted to uh, mix in some new guests here in the new year. And uh, I've followed uh, your tweets and some of your work uh, before. So everybody watching, please press that like button right under uh, the video. Please share this live stream. Uh, press the like button, share, super chats. All that is welcome. Uh, full disclosure, I don't feel good. I haven't felt good for three days. But we live in these ridiculous times where, all right, do I go and stand online for three hours uh, to see if I have COVID? If I don't have COVID, possibly get COVID uh, waiting on the line? Uh, or do I just kind of deal with what I have now? And if it's COVID, great. So I'm siding with the deal with what I have. If it gets worse, I'll go wait on a line. But right now, I just kind of feel really run down, have a cold kind of thing. So. Who knows? Could be COVID, maybe not. But that's kind of the messed up part, isn't it? You know, we don't have uh, available uh, rapid tests. I can't really go right now to CVS where I live to get rapid tests uh, to wait online. You're talking hours uh, where I am. I'm sure where you guys are, too. Uh, and also going somewhere to, to take the test. Uh, you're talking possibly four or five days at this point to get a result. So that's two years into this. Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on? It's a, the individualized response to a global pandemic. You're on your own out there, buddy. Just do it. Yeah. Take some vitamin D. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, you, you've got to love these uh, these testing centers where you stand in line and they're not even really social distancing in some of these. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the masks aren't even always on. And here, here's an airborne disease. And, you know, the only testing site I would go to yeah. is is a uh, in your car. I mean, you're in New York, so you probably don't have that liberty. But uh, at least in California, we can we can stay in our car and get tested in yeah. a lot of places. Yeah, absolutely. And just now, by the way, uh, just now, apparently the Biden administration is considering uh, upgrading masks. They're looking uh, into it. Yeah. Yeah, they're looking into it two years into it. So anyway, uh, I we'll hear get they're it. good. Yeah, yeah, I hear they're good. N95, KN95. Uh, but Congress, by the way, Congress is now being provided KN95 masks. Uh, but the rest of us, you know, good luck. Well, and so, they put out a statement yesterday saying that they don't trust that people would actually really wear them anyway. So why bother? Right. Why bother making <laughs> them available for free during an airborne deadly virus? But I wanted to start, Colin, if you have this uh, USA Today story, uh, you know, the corporate media has been very focused on inflation. And uh, today, actually, inflation reaches highest level since 1982 as consumer prices jump 7% in 2021. So that's the headline there. Uh, pretty, pretty bad, uh, particularly during a pandemic that prices are going up like this. Uh, inflation hit a fresh 39 year high in December as a drop in energy costs wasn't enough to offset a steady march upward for staples such as food, rent and cars amid stubborn supply chain bottlenecks and worker shortages. Consumer price index jumped 7 percent last year, the fastest since 1982, blah, 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 blah. So this is your generic corporate media story that's just basically making it seem like inflation is because energy prices have gone up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't get to do this often, but I have to give props to Elizabeth Warren. Uh, <laughs> such I, tough I wish, you know, it's tough to do. I wish, you know, she had a right to run for president. Would have been nice if she dropped out when it was very clear she had no chance. Maybe help the actual progressive get elected, but uh, I digress. But I wanted to play this clip. Because Elizabeth Warren, one thing you could say, she she's good at getting a congressional hearing soundbite. She has had a lot of moments. Uh, she grilled uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Powell, who basically admitted that, yeah, no, this inflation isn't just because prices are going up. It's because of greedy, greedy corporations and 
companies that have monopolies are price gouging the hell out of you and I, if you could play that column. Let me ask it the other way then, because we're still kind of doing Econ 101 here. If you're a corporation that has eaten up most of the competition and cornered the market, is it easier for you to raise prices on your customers and maximize your profits? Because you don't have to worry about losing your business. In other words, that's you've lost the, the discipline that the market imposes. In principle, if you don't have competition and you're a monopolist, yes, you can raise your prices. Okay, and over the past year, we know that prices have risen because of supply chain problems, unexpected shifts in the demand for goods, and even higher labor costs. But if corporations were simply passing along these costs in highly competitive markets, would the company's profit margins have changed much? You know, so many things affect, affect those, uh, that calculation. I, in principle, you could be right, but... Uh, well, it's very much not what we're seeing right now. Today, nearly two out of three of the biggest publicly traded corporations in the country are reporting fatter profit margins than they reported before the pandemic, which doesn't sound like they're just passing along costs. So, so let me ask you, does that increase in profit margins combined with greater market concentration in industry after industry suggest to you that some corporations may be passing along increased costs and at the same time charging more on top of that to fatten their profit margins. That, that could be right. It could also just be, though, that demand is incredibly strong and, and that, um, uh, you know, they're, they're raising prices because they can. Well, that's the point. They're raising prices because they can and they're not being competed down. You know, market... There you go. There you go. You got it. So I could say a lot, ladies first. Uh, your <laughs> thoughts on uh, Jerome Powell? I mean, honestly, all you needed to have from that is, well, they can, so they do. I mean, that's exactly it. And you know, I know you you said it, and uh, I'm going to take <clears throat> I'm going to take it and run with it. But I do feel like Elizabeth Warren loves having these sound bites, and then when it comes time to leverage power to do anything to try to change this, nothing has changed. You know, I know she loves to say that she was a big. Uh, you know, agitator in the side of Barack Obama and Biden way back when, but nothing changed. Income inequality has only grown. These corporations have only consolidated more. So I love that soundbite. I'm waiting for, you know, the email to come asking me to help her, you know, donate to her because she's got to keep fighting in Congress. And I, I agree, of course, with all of that, but so does most of the country. Like, whom, who is that actually for anymore? I don't even know. Right. And what's amazing to me about it is essentially, I mean, it's been obvious for a while now that these corporations they're Yeah, whatever. They might they might have initially been passing off uh, increases on their end. Uh, but I mean, the data shows that they have been uh, raking in profits and that they have been price gouging across the board from supermarkets uh, to, you know, uh, the, the greediest of the greedy. Yet that's kind of been twisted into it's a booming economy. It's right. a booming economy. <laughs> the economy's rebounding. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like, uh, who's it rebounding for? Because these corporations are jacking up prices under the guise of inflation. And there are no actual laws against any of that. There are no laws. There's technically supposed to be competition, competitive laws. Right. There's been some reports that Biden has hired anti tougher antitrust people. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen shit, uh, right. but it kind of is, I guess, refreshing to hear the Federal Reserve Chairman accidentally admit, yeah, right. yeah, no, these corporations are screwing you all because they can and they can. we're not going to do anything about it. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, well, I think you're perfectly in, in line with what, what's going on. I mean, when when inflation is rising at this rate and corporate profits are perfectly in sync with that, what's the check on getting us out of this situation. There are no checks and balances in the law. I mean, we, we're basically in a price gouging situation is what it is. And uh, in an emergency, we have laws against price gouging on a local level, but we were in a prolonged two-year situation of price gouging. And when the economy, when all the metrics that you judge your economy on are how well the stock market's doing and how well corporations are doing, we're going to stay in this situation for a long time. Yeah. 
And I want to piggyback also because I think it's important. You know, listen, I don't want to uh, get attacked by the woke brigade. I think Elizabeth Warren, you know, obviously every right to run for president. Um, there were before she abandoned Medicare for all and started moving towards the neoliberal end. Like she did have some good policies, whatever the hell she was talking about. You know, I think her thing was like, I don't remember her tagline, but something along the lines of, you know, uh, here's my plan or what I have what a plan my, for that. Yeah. 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 I have a plan for that, but it just goes to show you, imagine, imagine two things. Number one, that she genuinely was about the policies rather than this egocentric silliness. Oh, well, Bernie's supporters were too hard on me and too right. negative and too many snake emojis. She should have dropped out after New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. She should have dropped out after New Hampshire when I think she came in third or fourth place in her backyard next right. to Massachusetts. Uh, who knows? It's, you know, a Monday morning quarterback at this point. But at least on Super Tuesday, there were a lot of states that uh, Bernie came close to winning that Warren right. got a significant portion of the votes because she she had never dropped out and she was still on the ballot. So yeah. alternative history is a strong thing. The second thing is, I mean, other than in uh, press con in uh, hearings with Jerome Powell, what is Elizabeth Warren doing about this? Right. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I mean she's, she's sorry, she, 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 no, she's been, she's coasted on these sound bites. She, she, right. she gets credit for creating the consumer uh, financial protection bureau. Um, but she, she, you know, Obama immediately didn't put her in charge of that right. and said that Republicans wouldn't, wouldn't put her in the position to run it. So, she created an organization that it's it's sort of like the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus. I mean, it's like you can say all these things, but what are you what are you doing? What do, how are you regulating? And and her solutions always come down to uh, a little more regulation on capital instead of you know that's why her campaign strategy was big structural change to to break that down and say that's not who I am. I'm for big structural change. But when you're not for Medicare for all. Right. Are you for a big structural change? No. Yeah. And, and that's where progressives have been. You know, I, I don't care if you like Warren. That's fine. Whoever likes Warren. But um, I mean, know, just her betrayal for won't be forgiven by a lot of us ever. Yeah. If she actually cared about the policies she pretended to and when everybody entered and they all said, you know, we're all as progressive as Bernie, if if the roles had been reversed and Bernie hadn't dropped out I and mean, he he would have in a second thrown all of his support behind her, he wanted her to run in 2016. So I think it just shows how uh, lacking her actual support of the policies she pretends to fight for, really. Right. You know. And I want to drill in more to this price gouging on, that's under the guise of inflation, if you have the uh, Guardian piece, Colin. So this is from Robert Reich. Yeah, whatever. I mean, he was Cl Bill Clinton's labor secretary, occasionally has a good idea. Came out after the fact, once he was out of office and not working under Clinton, basically saying Clinton, uh, you know, was a right winger. Wish he would have said that, like, when he was there. Yeah. But um, he had this uh, interesting piece in The Guardian where he's talking about this. And he's saying a major reason for price rises is supply bottlenecks, as Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, has pointed out. He believes they're temporary and he's probably right. But there's a deeper structural reason for this inflation, one that appears to be growing worse, the economic concentration of the American economy in the hands of a relative few corporate giants with the power to raise prices. If markets were competitive, companies would keep their prices down in order to prevent competitors from grabbing away customers. But they're raising prices even as they raked in record profits. How can this be? They have so much market power, they could raise prices with impunity. And this is the point. This is what I've covered on the ground for years. What he just described is what CNN is describing as a booming economy. Right. <laughs> what CNBC and all these uh, corporate Neanderthals are talking about, uh, oh, we're, unemployment's at the, the lowest rate in, I don't know what it, what it is right yeah. now, but lowest rate in uh, decades. And GDP is bouncing back. Uh, if you actually look underneath the hood, we're about to get to the Kroger situation. It's an economic hunger games out yeah. there, but well, honestly, Martha and uh, Mar Marsha Fudge put out a tweet, I think yesterday or the day before that we're the only developed country that has a booming economy and like thriving in this global pandemic. It only took a million bodies, right? Like 
and then all the rest of the suffering. I mean, that's quite a flex there when we are in this mass devastation. People can, you know, and I know you're about to get to it with what's happening at Kroger's and all these huge corporations that double dip, right? They don't pay their employees enough. Then those same employees have to be helped out by the state. So they're getting it both ways. They're getting huge tax incentives and we're helping subsidize their employees who they don't pay a living wage. Right. And also, Pat, you know, th this whole talking point, one of Biden's shining achievements, the only one, uh, was, quote unquote, cutting poverty child, covered, <laughs> cutting childhood poverty cutting in child half with that whole one year child tax credit. I mean, it's not bad. It's a good thing. I, I, I'm, a, I'm for structural change, not neoliberal tax incentives, but that's better than nothing. But how do you have a booming economy if you have such child poverty in the first half? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, how do you let that lapse? And, and how did the original study that said this cut child poverty in half, a big element to that was that they were going to have a $15 minimum wage. And then once that was removed, the study said, ah, oh, you know what, that, that really didn't matter. We're still cutting child poverty in half with this, which I find uh, unrealistic. I, I think that's bullshit, but um, you know, the problem is the people we this is why Kroger and the striking people striking workers is is our real power right now, in my sense, and why I appreciate your coverage of a lot of these these actions is that the people that we have in charge who have to change these laws and do some regulating and and restructure how our economy has worked are benefiting from this system. They're all allowed to, ch to trade stocks. They have no incentive to to uh, to really look out for workers. There's none. And winning elections doesn't even matter. You know, if you if you lose your election, you're going to get a corporate job immediately. You're you're going to get a lobbyist job. You're going to you know. But what are you what are you talking about? Nancy Pelosi tells me it's a free market, and I can trade stocks whatever I want. Because this is a free market, and people, we are a free market economy. They should be able to participate in that. Yeah, it's a free market, but she beats uh, like almost all investors in her her brilliant choices in stocks just follow her trades yeah. and, and do what nancy it's, it's does magical. yeah <laughs> yeah and the the other elements here is like you know i i've never jumped on board with fraud squad and all this just because i'm not 16 but like they deserve criticism <laughs> they deserve criticism right. like these are you cannot have a better opportunity to go after i mean basically this new gilded age than a pandemic Right. right? Uh, but essentially, for the most part, the elected progressives, whatever, whatever you want to call them, the right. squad plus uh, they've been trying this inside baseball negotiations mm -hmm. within the Democratic Party, uh, being in the room, which uh, Warren infamously said, you know, right. it's better to be at the table, you know, whatever. But I mean, none, none of uh, the squad, uh, Rokana, Pramila Jayapal, have gone after any of this during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, it very late into uh, when there was a bet when people were about to be evicted, they did some activism right. uh, on the steps of the Capitol that worked temporarily. So it showed public pressure right. going after the Democratic Party who was allowing that eviction moratorium to lapse. It actually worked. Yeah. Suddenly they could figure out a way to extend it. So I just wanted your thoughts. Th what, what Warren, credit to her, got the Federal Reserve Chair to admit, well, because they can. Why, why aren't progressives on a crusade uh, during this pandemic leveraging what this pandemic has been exposing about this new Gilded Age we live in? Yeah, it's so frustrating. They didn't they don't leverage their power. They uh, they don't seem to welcome the hatred that they talked about when they were on the outside. And it really sort of makes it it's made uh, not I'm not a non voter. Certainly, I voted in every single election since I was 18. But it really is a way of suppressing democracy because you know you work so hard for these people who say they're going to fight for you and then they get in there and they capitulate right away and they tell you they're playing as you said the inside game and you don't know what's going on i mean even bernie you know there was that interview with crystal ball where she kind of called him out on it and he was like now wait 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 you don't know what's happening behind the scenes well what's happening behind the scenes i don't know but i see what's happening in the front of the scenes and it's nothing you know we have no raised minimum wage. We have no expanded Medicare. We have no, uh, you know, uh, big pharma uh, negotiating prices. I mean, <laughs> they failed. And I know that he just put out, you know, a I, I know you did a show on it yesterday, but it's real. it's like a little too little too late. We we've known again, like they don't need to convince the public. The public is on their side. All of the 
uh, policies that Bernie ran on were majority popular across the board. So these sound bites and these articles and op-eds are, you know, it's wonderful because I feel like, okay, you're in my corner, but it really doesn't matter if you're not, you know, act, walking the walk. Right. And I also think, Pat, you know, at the end of the day, Bernie's, when he ran for president, what he said is, no, no, once I get in there, I'm not going to first meet with Mitch McConnell and talk about compromise. I'm going to tell him to look out the window right. at my army. That's what he said. You know, I try to be fair. Right. I, I think Bernie brought millions of people into the process, but I've also said he was weak in 2016 and 2020. Yeah. Uh, he brought a night. He brought a spoon to a political gunfight. Yeah. And, you know, the results are what they are. Doesn't doesn't mean throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. But his organizing principle, which was to activate the base, right. uh, he said, let's get rid of Trump. And then on day one, fight Biden. Well, it's way past yeah. day one. Yeah. And all we've gotten, uh, I just covered it the other day. He kind of sort of criticized Biden mm -hmm. in an interview with The Guardian. So I don't know. I mean, I agree with you on one end that the worker strikes, which I've been covering extensively, uh, are right now a big hope and workers are starting to see success. But on the electoral piece, unless they all magically uh, overnight start, start to get a backbone, uh, I don't see any anything that would stop these companies from doing what they're doing or to stop, you know, uh, the trend of yeah. income inequality. Yeah. Well, to, I mean, to me, the few examples we have of, of massive public pressure, um, I, you know, the strikes of course, but, but public shaming more so. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the, uh, the one instance where, um, the Biden administration was called out in the press for, uh, for their mocking the idea of distributing masks to people. And then what do you know that that just got, a lot of airplay and, and suddenly the Biden administration could administer mass. And then so uh, you also have the eviction. But they can uh, talk about it. So they can talk. about. Well, it. <laughs> so but so the, the few examples of a lot of coverage yeah. being drawn to an issue have resulted fairly well. Um, so we have examples. So that that makes it even more critical to me and more ridiculous that the squad and squad plus and, you know, that they aren't using that force. They aren't. The, the the benefit of people like AOC is she has the the ability to get a microphone and camera in front of her at any time and and draw some attention to these issues. So they have case studies that have worked right. and uh, we're not seeing enough of it. That's all. That's where I land on it. You know, before we move on to Kroger, I want to mention, granted, local level, but we have a case study that works doing what we're talking about. Her name's Shama Sawant in yeah. Seattle. That's right. Okay. So Shama Sawant, uh, you know, status quo's audience knows her. Uh, she's a socialist, loud and proud. Uh, she, you know, is not a member of the Democratic Party. She goes after uh, neoliberals, the mayor of Seattle, the city council. Uh, but she is very, very intertwined with the activist base of workers, organizers. Uh, she's She basically is one of those, uh, right. only inside uh, Seattle City Hall, and because she's been so available to the activist space, because she has worked uh, uh, year after year after year with workers, activists, minorities, uh, the homeless, uh, you know, in Seattle, she has uh, she has survived a recent recall election. Mm -hmm. She has survived Amazon trying to get her out of office. Mm -hmm. She has survived millions of dollars against her, for, which is a lot of money on local city politics yeah. to be. Le so she survived that and she just survived a December recall getting close to the same amount of people to come out to vote against the recall that came out for the regular November election. Right. So it just shows you, listen, could Ashama Sawant go to Washington and not be a member of the Democratic Party and just be social alternative? I don't know. Right. But whether she w whether you have somebody that's inside the Democratic Party or not, could they go scorched earth? And rally an activist base? Absolutely. But we're not seeing that. So it's a shame. Which brings me to uh, another wonderful story of capitalism. Um, Colin, if you have the first tweet from More Perfect Union, uh, a survey was done 
And remember, folks, press that like button right under the video. It helps us get this stream out. As uh, my wonderful guest can tell you, YouTube uh, is not really uh, so big on sharing independent media content or pushing us in their algorithm. So we need you to press that like button, share, super chats, all that good stuff. So a survey of 10,000 Kroger supermarket workers reveals that two-thirds of employees are living in poverty and struggling to survive. The grocery company CEO made $20 million in 2021. Meanwhile, 40% of workers cannot afford food and 14% have been homeless in the last year. So that chart shows you, uh, do you have enough money to pay for basic expenses every month? 63% say no, 37% say yes. Uh, will you have enough money to support yourself after you retire based on the wages and benefits that you receive from Kroger? 92% uh, say no. So <laughs> that's uh, pretty overwhelming. Uh, Kroger CEO compensation, it went from a little under 10 million uh, a decade ago to 20, over 23 million this CEO is making while his workers are basically embroiled in an economic hunger games. Um, in uh, another question was in the past year, have you had to borrow money from your family or friends to pay for basic expenses? 42% of workers said yes. Uh, the average Kroger worker is paid $17.89 an hour, which is 19% less than the average full-time living wage of $22 an hour needed by Kroger workers for basic necessities. The shortfall for full-time new workers is $6.72 an hour, short of being able to afford the necessities of life. The wage deficit of workers is larger than the living wage gap. Uh, what's next? Um, this one, uh, more than two-thirds of Kroger workers struggle for survivor due to low wages and part-time work schedules. Nine out of 10 Kroger workers report that their wages have not increased as much as basic expenses, such as food and housing, ha have increased. Since 1990, wages for the most experienced Kroger food clerks have declined from 11 to 22%. Let me repeat. Since 1990, their wages have declined from 11 to 22% adjusted for inflation across the three regions surveyed across the entire grocery industry. 29% uh, of the labor force is below or near the federal poverty threshold. Nearly two thirds of Kroger workers say they do not earn enough money to pay for basic expenses every month. Among the workers who are unable to afford necessities, 44% say they're unable to pay for rent and 39% say they're unable to pay for groceries. 14% of Kroger workers are homeless now or have been homeless during the past year. And that chart shows, do you have enough money, money to pay for basic necessities, uh, basic expenses? 63% say no. And Colin, if you could fast forward, there were some quotes from the workers, which will just crush your soul. Sorry to do that. Uh, quote, if you could full screen that. I've had to get another job just to make ends meet. I will have nothing for savings upon retirement. I will be essentially homeless. This was from uh, a meat clerk at uh, Quality Foods in Washington. Uh, another person, another worker, our workforce is almost non-existent. How we are even operating, question mark. There are too many customers for us to handle safely and responsibly, but that's how Kroger wants it. Another person said, when my store manager asked us to simply remove a moldy strawberry from a piece of cake and then replace it back into the cake case to be sold, it was clear he did not care about the well-being of customers of us and just wanted this, the sale. To put someone in jeopardy for $3.99, ridiculous. And once again, there's the chart uh, of the CEO, which went from a little under 10 million uh, 10, uh, in 2010, over 23 million. And by the way, it just so happens in the last two years of a pandemic has seen the biggest spike. So I know people want kind of like reactionary hot take content that allows them to escape on YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry to have to provide uh, this treachery, but I wanted to ask you, um, uh, Leela, you know, to me, this is, an, this is an economic Hunger Games. And the thing that drives me insane, it's not just Kroger. No. Uh, I mean, I've covered Amazon extensively. Uh, during the interviews I did with the John Deere workers on strike, the Starbucks workers, you know, different places. Some of them are more severe. A lot of them are, uh, some of them are less severe, but a constant you see people working multiple jobs, right. a constant you see workers, you know, the old adage, like squeeze as much juice out of the orange as you can. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, they're being asked to do more with less. Uh, that example of the moldy strawberry. And to tell you the truth, I'm not defending that manager, but a lot of these managers are getting it from the top. Right. Uh, from, you know, right. the CEO and his underlings. Uh, disregard safety, this and that. It's all about profit. Yet, Colin, if you have this article, I just want to contrast this. This is from CNN. Uh, lawmakers discuss additional COVID relief amid Omicron, but talk stall. And the reason I wanted to show that article is because here, and a senior Biden administration official poured cold water on any further stimulus at this time, leaving the possibility open to some relief for restaurants. Quote, no, there might be something small for restaurants, but the economy is booming. There are millions of open jobs, and we do not believe people should be sitting at home if they are vaccinated and boosted. So does that sound like a booming economy, Leela? I mean, it's appalling. It's appalling. And also, you know, in that article, the the average Kroger workers making over $17 an hour, and we're still talking about fighting for 15, seeing that $17 an hour doesn't cut it, and that two thirds of them are living in poverty and 14% are homeless. I think you might have done um, a segment with Amazon workers, and it was, uh, they were like living in their car. So they would leave it wasn't yours. I, I I thought it was No, I'm you. just asking, did you read my production uh, sheet? Because I have that clip that we're oh. going to play. Oh, look uh, at that. Let, <laughs> I did yeah, my research. Let me, let me play that, let me play okay. that clip. Uh, so last time I was at the Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, and by the way, this is New York, so a lot of these workers are making $18, $19, which in New York is the equivalent of like $12 to $13, Yeah. because uh, New York's one of the most expensive places to live. So I was interviewing Amazon workers, and lo and behold, a lot of those workers are working 12, 13 hour shifts and then sleeping in the parking lot. The PR that Amazon puts out there, you get all these commercials that are rainbows, rainbows and sunshines and they're helping people through school. And it's it's wonderful being an Amazon worker. Well, there's a lot of people that are homeless Amazon workers. Right. There's I mean, at last count, there were about over 100 cars in this outside parking lot and the inside parking lot, the covered multi-layer lot behind me. And they're there 24-7, including on the holidays, uh, like on Christmas and New Year's Day when there aren't that many people here. Uh, they're here 24-7. And I, I feel for them, just, I'm one of them. So, you know, I, I try to, we try to advocate and I'm trying to hook up people with other people so that we can do roommate situations and share expenses and stuff. It, that also plays into the fact that hourly workers, mostly black and brown employees, do not get promoted. They just don't get promoted. They're not given interviews. Um, everybody in there in these buildings plays favorites. You have to be a young white male fresh out of college in order to get into a management position here. And it creates a huge us versus them situation in there because a lot of those kids are very spoiled, very racist, very sexist, and they're constantly targeting some of the best employees that Amazon has in there. You said you're one of them. So you've been, you're currently homeless working at Amazon? currently am yeah i have been homeless for the past what two and a half almost three years that i've been here now and i haven't been able to afford a place um none of my family's out here it's just it's mind-boggling boggling because the rest of the country is thinking well she's making more than minimum wage how come she can't afford a place to live well it's because there's no affordable rent out here and we don't make enough and we don't get promoted I mean, I've been with the company since 2017. I have an AA degree. I've trained literally hundreds of people since I've been in Jersey and New York. And I've applied over a dozen times for positions at the next level, tier three. I can't even get an interview. That, that's ridiculous. And for me, to, to, for me to have to work for people half my age and answer to people half my age who have no experience here and really are really disrespectful to the workers, it's it's beyond frustrating, really beyond frustrating. From Kroger to Amazon, your thoughts? Well, and that's why, you know, talking about the raw numbers without putting them in relation to what they can act, the purchasing power of them, right? Which is why, I mean, anybody talking about $15 minimum wage at this point, it's a, it's a joke. It should be, we should be talking 35 and knowing that we'll compromise down to 30, right? Because that would be a basic living wage. And that's not even a thriving wage, which I feel like, you know, we all deserve. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they capitulated when Bernie brought his force to Amazon a couple of years ago and, you know, everybody went up to $15, right? Because it's a drop in the bucket. They will spend 
millions of dollars to shut down a union because they know that when they unionize, they will lose millions of dollars. So it's they're always doing that cost benefit analysis. They're always doing class warfare. Um, it's just amazing that we have no checks and balances on these companies. Right. Pat, your thoughts too, because the thing that kind of has always drive me crazy, I mean, whether it be Standing Rock or other things I've covered, there really is an alternative reality. I mean, there's there's several, you know, you got the anti-vaxxers, you got, <laughs> there's like a lot of alternate realities, but there's an alternate reality that is really, really solidified by corporate media that just says the economy's booming or not booming based on the unemployment rate, based on GDP, based on whatever their parent companies tell them, I guess the price of their parent company's stock. Uh, but how could you, in, a, in the wealthiest country on earth, say it's booming if you have charts that show a CEO is making $23 million a year? Right. Uh, while, and that's not even counting bonuses, by the way. Uh, yet his workers are talking about they're not going to be able to retire. I'm talking about Kroger workers. Kroger workers, are talk they can't retire. 42% have to borrow money. Um, uh, uh, I think 63, 63% said they can't afford uh, basic things like rent. I mean, it is such a bullshit propaganda alternative reality that is manufactured. Uh, and again, from lack of political leadership, uh, but also a very powerful echo chamber of the corporate media, uh, a lot of people really believe this shit. But that's what's so frustrating to me about uh, progressives and Democrats that are are letting letting their their base down. Um, you know, so many people are not tuned into that narrative. I mean, they hear that narrative, but they also look out their street. They go to Home Depot. They see every. I live in Sacramento, California, and every square nook of of available space has homeless people now. And and the, the these dual narratives are are an opportunity for the left to really get out there and say, look, you know, it, it would be really easy for, for people to say, go down your street, uh, drive down by the freeway and look at all the homeless camps. Is our economy thriving? You know, so you got all these workers at all these places, you know, Amazon workers making 17 bucks an hour and need, need social programs to survive. And all those programs just come from tax dollars or, you know, MMT, whatever. But all those programs are basically taking our money and funneling it to the corporations because we're supplementing their, their minimum wage or $17 an hour because they need to survive. So, you know, and, the, and for them now to put this blame on inflation, like we can't, if we expand worker rights and worker protections and, you know, social programs, it's, that's the, that's the harm. It's just, it's, they're really cutting the last safety net that we have at this point. Right. Well, and you see how scared they are of labor, right? And why they're coming out. I mean, last year, the teachers were our heroes. The essential workers were our frontline, you know, frontline workers, essential workers. And now, I mean, even the head of the teachers union is coming out against her own membership. We're striking for, for safe conditions. And they're, you know, I'm, I don't know if you're going to get into the whole school closure stuff, but like they are doing everything possible to sublimate worker power on every level. Well, wasn't it interesting that when um, Amazon workers in Alabama were uh, unionizing or trying to unionize uh, or other workers were on strike when uh, Jen Psaki, President Biden's press secretary, was asked about it? She hemmed and hawed. And actually, I think she said, well, legally, we can't really talk about it. But then when the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, when they were on strike for safer conditions, oh, they could talk about that. No, oh, there was a concerted, yeah. Yeah, there was a concerted campaign to talk about that because Democrats believe Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia because schools were closed too long. They think it's a toxic uh, political thing to a certain extent. It is bad for Democrats with schools closed. Uh, you know, my opinion is it's not a one size fits all. There are certain areas that schools should be open uh, where cases aren't surging like insanity. And there are certain areas where for example, my New York City, uh, my friend who's a New York City teacher told me we're, we're a glorified babysitting service right now. I mean, most of my, uh, I think he said six or seven of his colleagues, teachers were out. So schools are being, um, yeah. classes are being added on top of each other, yeah. uh, consolidated. You have substitute teachers teaching. Uh, right. You really have no consistent lesson plan. There's really, he told me there's really no learning going on per se. Right. 
It's just a glorified babysitting service. But the scorched earth that the Democrats now, Biden, Jen Psaki, by the way, CNN too, like Erin Burnett on CNN. She yeah. hates those teachers unions. Yeah. Uh, the scorched earth against those teachers unions when if it's about Amazon, if it's about Starbucks workers, if it's about John Deere workers, Nabisco, the list goes on. Right. Hey, they have the right to unionize. Next question. Yeah. Yeah. And also the, the, the framing of it as some binary project where teachers just want schools closed forever. It's not. We're trying to flatten the curve. But also there's a list of demands to make schools safer. Right. There, there are plenty of Basic private schools. Ventilation. Yeah. Ventilation, masking weekly testing. I mean, they're not saying that they never want to go back to teaching. That's just absurd. So to frame it that way. And then, you know, two years into a global pandemic, not to have helped the infrastructure of most of the public schools in this country, and then to want to send people back in and to change, you know, six feet, three feet, when we know 18 feet isn't even enough distance. And as you said, right now, even the schools that are open, especially in New York or, you know, Midwest and East Coast, they don't have uh, proper heating. They don't have proper ventilation. They don't have proper teaching because half of them are out or taking anybody. It's a, it's a babysitting situation so that parents can go back to work. So, well, also it adds to uh, truths that have been going on for 30, 40 years in this country that we don't like to talk about uh, on corporate media. Number one, there's been a 40 year controlled attack on public schools uh, by the Republican Party. Frankly, the Democratic Party has been complicit in a whole lot of cases. All those charter uh, schools, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, you that, want to talk about why the there's... Problems. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that's one of the problems with, with selectively opening schools that meet certain criteria is because you find that the private schools and, um, you know, schools in areas that are economically well off, they did institute the protections that are needed right. where in, in poor neighborhoods, they don't have those protections. So, you you know, if, if this is a prolonged situation, you could really create an imbalance of education. Right. And the, the other thing I'll bring up going for the teachers, one topic I just have not heard in depth on all of CNN's pandemic town halls. Pat, Leela, why don't we have enough N95 masks in the United Corporations of America? Why don't we have enough ventilators? Why don't we have enough gowns, shields, eye goggles? Could it have anything to do with NAFTA? Could it have anything to do with, you know, uh, the, the, the trade deals we've made with China, uh, normalizing yeah. trade relations, this and that, where we offshored all of our manufacturing capacity? Yeah. And I'm all for jobs in Mexico, China. I'm not knocking those people that need to work. Uh, I'm not for that those people get paid, you know, a dollar right. a day. But um, so the thing is, we made a de deal with the devil, meaning right. the banks, the corporations that we allowed to write NAFTA and those trade deals 30 right. years ago. And then when there's a serious fucking situation, we can't make anything. And by we the make way, nothing here. Yeah. Why? By the way, why, again, Biden, Vanity Fair came out, I think it was in October that uh, the Biden administration, I, I don't want to mis misspeak, but they had an opportunity to right. back the, in October, uh, increase the rapid tests, the antigen tests uh, right. free, and they passed on it. Why would that be? So it's just, it's one thing after the other showing you, we essentially have a purchased government, right. purchased by these corporations, and everything is falling through the cracks as a result from the schools, to uh, Kroger, because you want to know something? Uh, for all his warts, uh, FDR would not stand by if That's the right. Kroger CEO was making, uh, went from 7 million to 23 million in 10 years while his work, while his workers are, you know, as asking people to borrow money and putting back moldy strawberries. It's ridiculous. Yeah, right. yeah they seem but much more. Biden... Go ahead, Pat. Sorry. I think I have a little bit of a lag here, so that's why I keep cutting okay. you guys off. It's not that's it's not my lack of uh, <laughs> or it is. I don't know. But Chivalry obviously, Biden, Biden could have used the Defense Production Act and immediately right. in getting into office, uh, ramped up testing here, um, ramped up mask making here. All those things are pretty obvious when you've got you've got three or four things you can do in a pandemic. You know, other than pay people to stay home, you can you can ramp those things up. And all the science said those things help, right. you know, so that the the Wall Street, uh, the Washington narrative that, well, only half of America's going to wear masks. So why should we get N95s? Well, even that do the math on half of America having N95s <laughs> versus regular masks. So yeah. even if 
it doesn't change how many people wear masks. They're wearing better masks. So you're slowing the spread. This but even that said, shit. I think there was a, a poll that came out in Morning Consult a few weeks ago saying that something like 70% of Americans want better masks, you know? Right. I mean, I've been in two different medical facilities this last week and everything's fine. I'm fine. But they were all wearing surgical masks. Why? Why are they wearing surgical masks two year into an airborne aerosolized virus? Right. Absolutely. And by the way, I mean, listen, uh, I wear an N95 mask. Yeah, it would be tough to wear that all day long in an Amazon factory as you're slaving away, uh, you know, moving products along. But the fact of the matter is uh, the fact that the government has not at least made it available uh, even if it's KN, KN, KN95 masks, which right. is once one notch below, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. blink of an eye, we just went up to $770 billion defense budget. So that's considered national security. Actually protecting people from a deadly airborne virus, that's kind of, yeah, if we could do it, we'll try to fit that in. It's crazy. I, yeah. I don't even know yeah, if we're defending anymore in this country, honestly, at this point. I mean, we really do feel like a failed nation but that money keeps flowing to those uh, those military contractors. It's amazing. That's yeah, and a, I, I think that the new strategy is to throw the CDC under the bus. I don't know if you picked up on that. But they the, deserve it. When, yeah. when you've got Brian Seltzer saying the CDC is a joke, that's that's a, a that's a little nod that that's the next play is that yeah. they're going to blame the CDC for all this. And I've already seen you know a prominent leftists online saying, "Well, Biden was just listening to the CDC." You know, that's right. their. What do you want him to do? He's listening to the CDC. And Delta yeah. CEO. I mean, it's 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 absurd. And you want to know something? Honestly, yeah, the CDC probably has warts. So do, the FDA definitely has warts, this and that. But this comes from the top. Yeah, this comes to the top. Right. Biden could have corrected course. You know, you have these people screaming about lockdowns, right? And, oh, the lockdown left. Biden, first of all, I lived in New York City in the beginning of this thing in March and April 2020. That's when I got it. There was no lockdown in America. I don't know what these people are yeah. talking about. There yeah. was never a lockdown in the United Corporations of America. When there was stay-at-home orders, guess what? People were at Central Park. People were out. Uh, um, people were taking the subways in New York City, right. taking buses. So right. there was no lockdown. Italy had a lockdown. Yeah. Uh, other countries had a lockdown where you literally could not leave right. your home. So to me, I don't use the term lockdown, but Biden could have very simply um, said – we're giving you $2,000. Uh, we're, excuse me, we're nationalizing payroll like the United Kingdom did. So what you make, whatever it would be, you, you make 90% of your salary, everybody enjoy Netflix for a month. If you don't have Netflix, we'll supply Netflix right. uh, yeah. and stay home. People, you know, there would be your, you know, MAGA people and right-wingers that don't like it, but there would be more people that's, that kind of breathe a sigh of relief um, yeah. and, and you could have drastically reduce the spread. Now, that does not that does not address the fact that there's a certain portion of people who will not get vaccinated. That does not address the, the fact uh, Biden, which to me is the biggest sin. And there's a lot of them. He will not force Moderna and uh, Pfizer to share their formulas. Because Frankly, I don't know what you guys think. We could get 80 percent of America fully vaccinated. That would make oh, a big, big difference. But. If you just have more mutations, more mutations yeah. coming from all over the world, we're going to have more Omicrons that to the individual could be milder, right. but it's not so much milder in terms of hospitalizations. I mean, right yeah. now, hospitalizations are at rec the highest records they were in 2021. Yeah. Well, when you allow yeah, it to let it rip through a community, I mean, basically, it's like if you don't finish your course of antibiotics, we're just allowing it to sort of like spread through the community and learn and grow. And yeah, and to that point, you know, when Biden, that big line, which was all political, that this was a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, just to put pressure, you know, on the red MAGA crowd. But if you truly believe that, then you have got to force Moderna to release the patents and tell Bill Gates and, you know, the World Health Organization and Gabi that, that we have to get serious about it. And while they don't do that, they are just subjecting themselves to looking like enormous hypocrites, which is only fueling the anti-vax crowd. Yeah, we, we've got a mutation factory in the world right now, basically. <laughs> the level of vaccination, it, it's it's not enough. So you're going to have people walking around and we're going to have new mutations. It's just inevitable. And the, the idea that 
the trajectory has to be towards milder and milder infections is not true. And we, we still have no idea what the long-term ramifications of, of getting COVID are. Like 10 years from now, we could all drop dead from COVID. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. going to happen. But I mean, you, well, you we know, just I mean, truly yeah. don't know the long-term effects. We know it's a vascular disease. We know it's eating people's organs. We know that on some level. And uh, and now all these people who, you know, say, let it rip. Now, when the next pandemic comes, the next virus, and we all die, it's going to be, oh, well, she had comorbidities because she had had COVID before, even though it was a mild case, right? So, like, they're just setting up this cyclical way of blaming individuals for their maladies. And, you know, I don't want to go too off the, off the page on this, but I just want to point out, there's a whole lot of uh, prominent, very prominent uh, YouTube hosts, Twitter people, this and that. They're very big on believing the scientists when it comes to climate change, but suddenly on a uh, deadly pandemic that's killed millions of people around the world, 850,000 in America, uh, for some reason we can't trust science, right. we can't trust medical experts. Uh, they're all part of this cabal to deceive everybody right. uh, and big pharma. But I, I don't know, like, it, you know, and you're never gonna win. I mean, we have people that come into the chat and you just can't convince them. But I, I kinda, just real quickly, I don't really understand the argument like big pharma, so don't trust the data. Because it's right. like, do we say don't take your insulin if you're a diabetic because it's right. manufactured by big pharma? And right. I said that to someone and they said, well, that has a lot more of a track record. And it's like, OK, but like this is this is now uh, about over a year. The mRNA vaccine, right. the formula that's been studied and in trialed for decades. So, right. you know, I just want your quick fits, quick thoughts I don't really understand this big pharma argument. Yeah, big pharma is terrible, but they're not going to make profits if their products don't work. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the argument, so there's a few things going on, right? Like they have to decouple the profit motive from the medicine and the science. Yes. And that, you know, when you see that they're coming out now with the fourth vaccination and we're never going to cure it, but you're always going to need to have a booster shot, that I understand why people might feel slightly skeptical because there's always that underlying profit motive. These people are not acting out of the goodness of their hearts, right? So, but there's a way to have dealt with that. I mean, you know, through, the, at one point, I think um, the uh, American pros Prospect was putting out like lists of things that Biden could do with exec by executive order. And one of them was Medicare for all. And, you know, if he had expanded people's ability to get healthcare for free and truly took away the profit motive. So if people don't feel like, well, it's okay if I die from cancer, I don't get any healthcare for free for that. But when it's COVID and it's something that could affect rich people also, if I, you know, all of those things intertwine and it does sort of make people conspiracy theorists. I am a hundred percent vaccine, you know, pro-vaccine and pro-science, but big pharma terrifies me because I, they would, they'll kill us all to make a profit clearly. Yeah. No, and I, I'll say, I'll say, and I don't think it's just about the vaccine, but I think that there's a connection. There is a connection between deflated progressives, because it's not all right-wing MAGA people. Right. There's a real connection between stood, stood up at the altar progressives yeah. who rode the Bernie wave in 2016 and 2020 and now feel rudderless, leaderless, yeah. no real right. direction of the left. When you have that vacuum, um, they could really shift towards some more, whatever you want to call it, right-wing conspiracy, uh, right. because they just no longer trust the government. They no longer trust anything because they're realizing, oh, I did all these things. I knocked on right. doors. I voted. I volunteered. And I'm in the same spot yeah. I was. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're just completely disenfranchised. I mean, they, you know, the, the few people they thought were fighting for them, they feel like have have sold out or something, you know? Yeah. So, so what do they, what do they have to lean on? You know, Bernie's movement, where is Bernie's movement? It's fractured in little segments. So the, the person that's attacking Bernie really hard might appeal to that person now because they feel betrayed by Bernie. So that person is right. also pushing an anti-vax narrative or something. Right. It, it does. It's sort of like, I mean, I'm not relating anti-vaxxers to Nazis, but it's like white supremacist uh, grows in areas where people are depressed and their people need something to latch on to and believe in and you know being able to just go to work and pretend this virus isn't so damning and it's it's the man holding us down and the establishment you know it it fits on some level for some people because of where they are uh, right psychologically yeah and uh 
It's a good segue because um, uh, Lila, you had mentioned the dying empire. Sorry, I just have to say Lila. Lila. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Just, yeah. My bad. Uh, my bad. Lila, you had um, you had uh, mentioned the dying empire earlier, and this story really. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing because it makes me want to cry. But the New York Times, uh, oh, you know, God. this 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 uh, <laughs> this counter the echo chamber columnist Thomas Friedman. Colin, mm -hmm. if you have it, and uh, remember, folks, press that like button, share this stream. Uh, Biden Cheney, 2024. Oh, God, uh, not Dick, uh, not Dick, Liz. Uh, Biden Cheney, 2024. Thomas Friedman suggests. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of bizarre. Uh, he starts with an analogy to Israel-Palestine. Um, I don't I don't get his point at all. Uh, but I'm going to move down to the part that really made me lose uh, my lunch. So uh, he writes, America is facing an ex existential moment, uh, Levitsky told me, noting that the Republican Party has shown that it isn't committed any longer to playing by democratic rules, leaving the United States uniquely threatened among Western democracies. That all means two things, he continued. First, this Trump cult version of the GOP must never be able to retake the White House since Trump has made embracing the big lie that the 2020 election was a fraud, prerequisite for being in the Trump GOP. His entire cabinet most likely would be people who denied or worked to overturn Biden's elect election victory. There's no reason to believe they cede power the next time. Uh, quote, in a democracy, Levitsky said, parties lose popularity and they lose elections. That's normal. But a democracy cannot afford for the, the, this Republican Party to win again because they have demonstrated a ton of evidence that they are no longer committed to the democratic rules of the game. So Biden-Cheney is not such a crazy idea, I asked. Oh, boy. Um, quote, not at all, said Levitsky. Quote, we should be ready to talk about Liz Cheney as part of a blow-your-mind Israeli-style fusion coalition with Democrats. It is a coalition that says there is only one overriding goal right now. That is saving our democratic system. Uh, Pat, I don't know if you switched to whiskey in that mug. But, <laughs> I should. <laughs> Give me uh, some. <laughs> before I get to my thoughts, what do you guys think of that? Well, you're seeing more and more articles like this with, with floating these crazy ideas because it's obvious Democrats aren't going to run on their record. They're going to run on January 6th and preserving democracy. And it's not that January 6th wasn't bad and wasn't uh, a threat to democracy because I, I do think it is dangerous and uh, I take it very seriously. But it it gives them cover to have a terrible record and never discuss the issues, never have to answer for their COVID response, never have to answer for the economic disparity in this country, because nothing else is more important than democracy. So this idea, whether it, you know, obviously they're never going to actually run Cheney, but it's just planning this. It's creating this propaganda of 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 stories that that support this idea of democracy at risk. Yeah. So that's the purpose of the article. I mean, if they actually thought democracy was at risk, they would be governing differently. And honestly, I don't think the Biden-Cheney ticket is all that outlandish. It should just be the Republican ticket. I mean, <laughs> you know, I talked to my liberal friends. I, can they name a, first of all, they have no ideology apart from not Trump. The fact that all those Democrats were stumbling over themselves to hug the two Cheneys at the, you know, January 6th Catskill Broadway show, whatever brouhaha that was, is so repulsive to me. Why welcome her in? Dick Cheney stole an election. I mean, he's an anti-democratic guy, but he just did it the right way through the Supreme Court. Like, well, I don't even I don't even understand where they're headed, except that there's really no difference between George W. Bush and Joe Biden anyway. So they should all have them. I just wish we had somebody on the left that would challenge them. Right. And I also think, you know, listen, with three white, with three uh, white folks, I think I yeah, shouldn't yeah. say that. Yeah, safely. Uh, safely. <laughs> uh, but I apologize. So I want to. I want to. I want to make clear. Uh, you know, I understand democracy. There's different threats to democracy for black people, Hispanic people, uh, indigenous people, historically oppressed people. Uh, right? They've been for a long time a threat just to vote, which yeah. is a bedrock of democracy. But with that said. I question this whole democracy thing because I don't know how you have a democracy. I mean, this is Princeton from 2014. Right. They did a study. We have an oligarchy. 
when when ninety when ninety percent of the time, uh, the majority of the public will is not implemented into policy, and uh, I think I have a reverse. Almost virtually never the majority uh, will is yeah. Im implemented into policy, but ninety percent of the time the elites will. Right. is implemented into uh, policy. Uh, that's kind of a CNN West Wing version of democracy. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's that's not like representative democracy because right. in a representative democracy, like the people are elected to yeah. represent the will of the people. So yeah. uh, it's kind of nauseating. It, it also goes back to Liz Cheney. Well, you know, I'm not going to blame her for everything George W. and Dick did, but she was on board with all of it. So not only not only not only did Dick Cheney steal an election, but they invaded a country on bullshit premises. So that's undemocratic. But by the uh, way, Biden was on board with all of that, too. So thank you. And by the way, that's something I, if Bernie would have went to the fight, not holding yeah. a spoon, yeah. uh, Biden lied about his Iraq war vote. He, yeah. he didn't just vote for it. He was six months after it doing speeches defending President Bush as the mood was abruptly shifting against the war. Biden right. was out there advocating for it. Uh, he was one of the Democrats uh, behind the scenes uh, whipping Democrats to vote for it. So, right. yeah, you're absolutely right. But, you know, I got to say this article, it's not too far, far off from what yeah. you see on CNN, MSNBC, obviously in the pages of The New York Times. It's this let's kind of rewrite history under the right. guise of Trump is a unique terror. <laughs> right. So let's normalize George W. Bush. Let's make Liz Cheney acceptable because she'll do the bare minimum and disown an insurrection. Uh, I don't know why that really gets you brownie welcome, points. Welcome to the res resistance. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But I wonder from you guys, I mean, that's just one article, but these articles are not written at the New York Times in a vacuum. Right. Uh, do you think that this could be have some momentum, not so much Cheney per se, but this Democrats should unite with like those few brave Republicans so I we mean, could keep Trump or the next Trump out of office? We saw it at the Democratic convention, right? John Kasich got a longer speaking time than AOC. Um, you know, uh, Bloomberg was one of the Democratic, you know, not a real Democrat. Bloomberg was one of the Democratic nominees. I mean, yeah, we, and also on MSNBC, what Nicole Wallace and all of the George W. Bush war criminals are their new hosts. So that's, you know, it isn't a divide between right and left, as I know we all know. It's the corporations and the the moneyed class versus everybody else. I mean, the the difference, the air between Democrats and Republicans is basically a couple hashtags. And other than that, they all agree on the same thing. They're not really fighting it out over there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, like I said, I, to me, it's propaganda. It, it's uh, it's keeping them from having to embrace any progressive issue on the left. So they they keep the narrative around a better, even if it's like, oh, the Democratic Party is pretty much Republican. They can still say, yeah, sure. But uh, democracy is not at risk under us. And, and that's what really matters. But in the end, they're not going to go with a, a Cheney. They're going to go with, you know, uh, Hakeem Jeffries or something. You know, they're going to oh. pull an identity. They're going to they're going to make a fake play to the left, is, right. which is what they always do. So this is just like it's fluff to control the narrative, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get too far into 2024, but I got news for you. Um, I don't know how they would get out. I don't know how they would uh, throw Vice President Harris over the Titanic uh, <laughs> under, this, un under this, but I mean, that goes completely against the woke brigade because I was right. hammered uh, in 2020 on the campaign trail for talk, you know, talk, covering her critically, challenging some of her supporters that I interviewed. So it, people who were genuinely uh, criticized for journalistically pointing out facts about her. Uh, I don't know how the Democratic Party is going to uh, figure out a way to get around her without essentially uh, melting in, it, in its own woke politics. Yeah, but it never seems to matter, right? I mean, even just going back to the democracy, you know, looking at how the primaries went for Democrats and I mean, Hillary Clinton and her group pushed the big lie for the last five years, right? That it was Russia and that 
I mean, Donald Trump, as disgusting as he is, was elected democratically. But most liberals don't believe that. Right. They they believe Russia hacked the democracy. And so then to turn and see that, you know, the MAGA crowd thinking that that their election was stolen. I mean, we are living through, I think, truly unprecedented times, which does not mean, as Michelle Obama said recently, that we all just have to suck it up. And it's the most important, you know, uh, election coming up of our lifetime. Because, again, if Democrats truly thought that they would be fighting for policies that they know are overwhelmingly popular on both sides of the aisle. Bernie goes onto a Fox town hall and gets a standing ovation talking about Medicare for all and raising the wage. Uh, you know, if Democrats cared about winning, they know the policies that they could be fighting for. Well, I mean, to wrap it up, I was told in 2004 when I first started paying attention, that was the most important election of my <laughs> lifetime. 2008, that was the most important election of my lifetime. 2012, we can't, you know, can't let Gordon Gecko in there. That was the most important <laughs> election. 2016, can't let Orange Mussolini in there. 2020, got to get rid of Orange Mussolini. You're already seeing the fundraisers e fundraising emails for the midterms under Save Democracy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I'm not trying to put I think voting is important. I know a lot yeah. of people are starting to say, you know, to hell with electoral politics. I don't think it's either or. I do right. think uh, there are uh, a lot of instances where voting is important, uh, but I'm not going to lie to you and say it hasn't become a, a, a formulaic marketing exercise yeah. in terms of saving democracy, this and that. Well, yeah. all I know, if Joe Biden wanted a $15 minimum wage, he wouldn't have let he wouldn't have preemptively surrendered it to a right. to an unelected parliamentarian. If he wanted a public option, we'd have a public option. Right. Uh, the things he said he want he was willing to do, which he didn't really run on many policies per se. Uh, he's preemptively surrendered on all that for one reason. We live in the United Corporations of America, and whether it's Biden, Trump, DeSantis, they will do whatever their donors allow them to do. On that note, uh, where can people find uh, your guys' great work, uh, Lila Charles Lay and uh, Pat the Burner, uh, real name, uh, Pat Cody? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having us on. This was so much fun. I've been following you for years and uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. We have our show every Wednesday night at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. So when we get off with you, we're going to start. Uh, I mean, so much that we talked about today, we'll continue on with. Um, and our show, we do talk about politics and, you know, all the manufacturing uh, narratives that are happening on corporate media. We also tend to um, be a little overserved during the hour. We drink a lot and try to have some fun because it's pretty desperate times out there. So uh, we hope that people will join us, Punch Up Pod. And uh, where can people find it? Uh, Twitter well, and uh, YouTube. You yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. Twitter and YouTube. Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. I mean, to me, uh, the on the ground and strikes are are where our power lies right now. You know, strikes, we get more strikes and uh, workers start seeing uh, successes fighting back against uh, the oligarchy. I mean, it, it, I hate to say it's so, it sounds so corny every time I say oligarchy, um, but but we really do. We, we need to back these strikes. And, and as independent media, I think the most important thing we can do is give more voice to to the workers. So yeah. let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's 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 tough sledding these days. Um, YouTube uh, has really made it difficult. If you're not, YouTube really favors more reactionary, hot take, right. um, yeah. bullshit, and it's became it's made it that actual reporting, whether you're on the ground, whether you're just you know interviewing interesting people, uh, doesn't pop out as much. Their algorithm does not favor that, so it makes it harder and harder. Uh, to grow a, a real reporting network, uh, to fund it, because it costs money. Um, trying my best. Uh, we're trying some new things here at Status Quo. Uh, but I appreciate uh, you guys coming on. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on. Thank you. Take care. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching, folks. We will see you back tomorrow. Take care.